Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Taoiseach Micheál Martin has told a meeting of the UN Security Council in New York that climate change is the defining challenge of our generation. Climate change is the defining challenge of our generation. It is essential that we act now. Our news correspondent Richard Chambers will join us live. Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue. Finnegal TD, Joe McHugh. Sinn Féin TD, Podrick McLaughlin, and Micah Redress campaigner, Phelan Henry, will be here to discuss. A Detective Chief Superintendent and Head of the Garda National Cyber Crime Bureau, Paul Cleary, will also join us to explain the role his bureau is playing to tackle increasing levels of cyber crime. And later, a look back at some of the biggest news stories this week with Irish Times political correspondent, Harry McGee, pharmacist and businesswoman, Kate O'Connell, and legal correspondent and senior reporter with the Business Post, Catherine Sands. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, a light aircraft with four people on board crash-landed on the beach off Carnesore Point in County Wexford earlier this evening, which we can now see images of. The four occupants of the aircraft, two men aged in their 20s and 50s, and two women, both aged in their 30s, were taken from the scene by the Coast Guard helicopter and brought to hospital by ambulance with non-life-threatening injuries. The pilot was able to land the plane on the beach it's understood the light aircraft suffered te technical difficulties and alerted the Coast Guard. Just at the um, seashore, he managed to glide in as best he could. He crash landed uh, just at the shore where the sea was coming in on top of him. They were able to extricate with their injuries, um, but very fortunate and very, I suppose, lucky to be alive in the context of what happened by losing both engines um, in such a remote area. It's difficult for it was difficult for us to access it uh, when we arrived here, but uh, through the help and support of the the Gardaí, the, the Coast Guard unit, bought helicopters from Dublin and indeed Waterford, the National Ambulance Service here in Wexford, the Wexford Fire Brigade and the Gardaí and the local community. You know, we were able to bring this to a successful conclusion this evening. An unbelievable uh, operation there and a very lucky escape for those on board that aircraft. Well, to other news now, and our correspondent Richard Chambers joins me now live from New York on a day that saw the Taoiseach chair the UN Security Council debate. Uh, Richard, a big day for the Taoiseach. It was all gearing up really to this day, wasn't it? Um, and climate change being the key item on his agenda. 
Yes, yeah, certainly was, Claire. It was really hammered home how this was a significant, somewhat historic day uh, from an Irish perspective. It is the first time a Taoiseach has chaired a meeting of the UN Security Council. Ireland uh, hoping to see a resolution pushed through on the links between climate change and conflict in areas like the Sahel in Africa, as well as the Horn of Africa. Now, uh, that didn't go quite according to plan. The Irish uh, Department of Foreign Affairs had hoped that the resolution uh, would get broad support. It did from 12 of the 15 members of the Security Council. However, China and Russia very much voicing their opposition to it in fairly forceful fashion. Uh, Russia, for example, their ambassador uh, said that there is an old Russian expression, although it is uh, quite a universal one, that too many cooks spoil the broth, that it wasn't the role for the UN Security Council uh, to step into this area and that it was disproportionate. China very much voicing the same view. So uh, if it was the hope that there would be a resolution stemming from the Irish presidency uh, of the Security Council, those hopes appear to have taken a fairly significant knockback uh, in terms of the international journalists and what they asked uh, Micheál Martin at the UN. They asked if uh, the push was now doomed as a result of what Micheál Martin heard when he was in the chair today. Uh, he said that's not the case, that it's about making progress over many months uh, and that he's going to keep on coming back with this. And this is something that Ireland is going to have a constructive engagement on uh, with the key players around the UN Security Council table. And yet, with all these big global issues at hand, there's the issues from home that are still coming back to haunt them in New York. Simon Coveney being asked, had he been in touch with Catherine Sapone? Uh, what did he have to say on that? Yes, well, uh, Simon Coveney was in New York last night before he travelled to Washington for engagements on Capitol Hill surrounding uh, the issues around the Northern Irish Protocol. He said he was very busy, that he didn't have time really uh, to contact Catherine Zappone or to meet up with her. Uh, we tried to get in contact with Catherine Zappone. We visited her neighbourhood uh, in Upper Manhattan. We knocked on the door effectively, uh, asking the doorman there uh, whether or not we could speak to Catherine Zappone. He rang up. Catherine Zappone told the doorman uh, that uh, she was not not available to speak to us so we left our details there in the hope of asking her a few key questions the sort of questions that she would have been asked uh, by the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee if she indeed wanted to attend there which she didn't uh, so uh, she has our number she can contact us while we're still in New York but uh, it is an attempt many journalists who have made the trip over to New York uh, for the UN uh, meetings have made to Catherine Zappone uh, with no success so far. Okay um, Richard now it's day five of the trip tomorrow. What's on the agenda? How is it going to all wrap up there in New York? Well, Claire, it's really about shutting things down. It's about sealing off the week. Uh, Micheál Martin will be giving Ireland's uh, keynote statement at the UN General Assembly. Of course, the General Assembly is the uh, main reason the UN has been meeting over the course of this week. So you've had, of course, leaders like Joe Biden and Boris Johnson uh, giving their uh, country's respective statements to the General Assembly. So it's Micheál Martin's turn tomorrow. Uh, amongst the things he's going to be pushing, again, the climate issue, as well as COVID vaccinations. He'll be uh, underlining the success that Ireland has had on that front and also calling for more uh, equality in how vaccines are distributed around the world. As well as that, he'll also be uh, taking in some of the sites, I suppose. He'll be visiting the uh, NBC Plaza at Rockefeller Centre. Uh, Ireland is, uh, of course, housing a number of productions which uh, NBC Universal are uh, responsible for. So uh, effectively trying to push on more uh, film productions, television productions uh, in Ireland. As well as that, it'll be uh, uh, effectively his last opportunity to speak to some of the representatives of Irish America. We're currently outside the Irish Consulate here on Park Avenue uh, where he is holding a round table discussion uh, with some community leaders uh, trying to hear about their experiences effectively over the last 18 or 19 months throughout the pandemic. Okay, Richard in New York, thanks for that update tonight.
Now, joining me via Skype to discuss the MICA redress scheme is Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue. Minister, you're very welcome along to the programme. I want to ask you on this scheme, we're hearing a lot of mixed messages from government. From your point of view, can you say at this point that homeowners will get the 100% redress that they are looking for? Well, from my point of view, Claire, that's certainly the objective and what I'm working towards. And uh, it's something I've been fighting uh, as a member of the Oireachtas and the Dáil from 2013, 2014. Remember, this became clear was an issue from the opposition benches over those years, uh, particularly trying to push to ensure that there wouldn't be the delays which were experienced um, at different times. And, and now in government, Claire, my objective is to be a voice for the people of Donegal and the other counties, and indeed any shown you know, in Carndona here tonight in my office, which is right in the centre of uh, where this is affecting so many families. So being in Cabinet, working with my Cabinet colleagues, working with my Rochtas colleagues, uh, Joe, um, who's in the studio there, who's there tonight, uh, Padraig, obviously, my Senator Niall Blaney here in Donegal, Dara Cleary and Mayo, who have been working on this with for many years now, trying to ensure that we can deliver a scheme which fully supports families to get their homes uh, redressed because this has been something which has blighted their lives for many, many years. These are families who have mortgages in the vast majority of cases on these homes already uh, and who are seeing these homes crumbling down uh, in many cases and very uh, and, and very very badly damaged, needing to be either redressed or fully, uh, fully demolished in many instances. And they need full support to do that and certainly I think as we now see the working group um, come to a conclusion uh, over the next week, hopefully, it will then be very much uh, a matter for government. And I'll be working with my cabinet colleagues to, uh, uh, to ensure that, that, that the best possible outcome and, is there. And yet, Minister... That 100% redress for the, for the families to fix yeah. their homes. And on that 100% redress, we are hearing mixed messages. When Leo Varadkar is talking about it, he's saying, well, you know, we also have obligations to the taxpayer. He's using this sort of language around it that, you know, if we pay this out, then other people will want in on similar schemes with similar issues um, with their homes. So, you know, from a point of view, and you are up there now, and you're going to hear from your constituents, I'm sure, over the weekend around this, you can't actually guarantee that they're going to get 100% redress on this, can you? Well, I think what's been made very clear by everyone, and I was sitting beside Minister uh, for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, in the Dáil yesterday when he addressed this question on the floor of the Dáil. It's something that Taoiseach addressed from New York again today as well. I know it's something that Tanisha addressed again today as well. And everybody has made it very clear that nothing is off the table in relation to this and everything is being fully explored. Um, Minister Darrell O'Brien, the first visit he made after he was appointed as Minister for Housing was indeed to Donegal uh, to meet with homeowners at that time. Um, and indeed, I think what's really important over the last couple of months is following on from the Taoiseach actually visiting the county and meeting with homeowners and representatives of the Mike Action Group. That decision to put homeowners at the centre of the working group process, to tease out all of the issues and detail involved, in what the costs are, so there can be absolute clarity then yeah. for the government and in terms of coming to make its decision. And we know that that strongly what came off the back, Minister. Oh, I know that strongly came off the back of the protests that took place, those mass protests that really drew a lot of attention to the issue that that working group, which has been stalled in its in its report, um, was formed. But on this issue, and if there are differences in the coalition and. And, and what we see, actually, is that the full redress does not come through for those homeowners. Are you willing to walk from the Cabinet table on this one? 
Well, uh, what I'm absolutely determined to do, Claire, Claire, is to deliver at the cabinet, cabinet table for the people of my own constituency and indeed for the other counties that are affected. And to use the influence I have and indeed working with my Rochdus colleagues as well to ensure that the result is one which fully supports homeowners. Uh, we have seen over the last year. We we have seen over the last year too how this has moved from being a regional issue, and I remember raising this many many times on the floor of the Dáil and, and many across the and other parts of the country not being clear on what MICA was. Um, but what's become what's happened as a result of the protests um, is that everyone across the country is now crystal clear in relation to the challenge this is. This is very much a national issue now as yeah. opposed to an issue which was previously Donegal and Mayo. Okay. And I am confident that working together uh, with the commitment of all in government, that we can deliver a scheme which will actually fully support uh, families to end this nightmare okay. and fully fix their homes. Okay, so no definitive answer as yet on that, but still working towards it. I thank you for that, Minister. Uh, now, joining me in studio is Fine Gael TD, Joe McHugh, and Sinn Féin TD, Podrick McLaughlin, and via Skype, Michael Redress campaigner, Phelan Henry. Um, I want to come to you first, um, Podrick McLaughlin. Uh, are you expecting all of this to come to a head now in, in the coming weeks when the working group reports back on it? Because we are hearing, sounds of it is, the 100% redress is, is not on the cards here. I'm expecting a major advance in the next number of weeks. Uh, I think that the, the campaigners, the families, with their courage, with their dignity, telling their stories, what they're going through, the utter trauma, devastation that they're going through to people all across the country has won hearts and minds up and down the country. Uh, the protest on uh, June 15th last uh, and the motion, the Dáil has passed a motion uh, instructing the government to go for 100% redress. The government didn't oppose that motion, they supported it. So I'm expecting... Uh, very good news in the next few weeks. Really? Uh, on what front now? Because, as, as I said, it has sort of been flagged um, around complexities of the issue. The Thornish are talking about the floodgates being opened. Should they offer 100% redress to homeowners in Donegal and Mayo and other counties that, you know, there are defective apartments in Dublin? And what would happen then? Th those homeowners would want redress too. So is that just flag flying and seeing what the, the, the public mood is on this? Well, it's very straightforward. Uh, there was 2,000 families in Dublin and North Leinster who rightly received 100% uh, redress for the pyrite in their homes. What we're asking for is equality, nothing more, nothing less. So the families in Donegal, Mayo, Sligo, uh, and in Limerick, Clare and Tipperary, those families deserve to be treated the same by the state. They did nothing wrong. They were failed by the regulations, by the light-touch regulation, the self-regulation, the no-regulation of this state. So we're asking that all of our citizens, no matter where they live in this state, that they're treated exactly the same. Okay, Phelan Henry, I want to bring you in on this because you're one of the homeowners directly affected by this. And we're heading into the winter months now. You are still in your house. Um, what sort of damage are you seeing all around you? Well, our house um, started about 10 years ago, small cracks, which eventually turned into cracks that you put your hand in, which eventually turned into pieces of the house that fall out. Um, uh, and even uh, parts of the house that you thought weren't too bad uh, are actually just crumbling. Uh, the other day, our young boy, Oshin, uh, was coming in the back door and he went to take off his shoes and he put his hand up to the door and he nearly fell through the door because a piece of the house fell out on his hand. It's unbelievable. And 
I mean, this, this experience isn't even unusual for you. You've been dealing with this for years. So what do you make now of, you know, the uncertainty, I suppose, and you're, you're waiting to hear what's going to happen in the next few weeks and whether you will get that 100% redress. Is there confidence there among campaigners and other homeowners like you that it will come through? Uh, not whenever you hear the type of, as you said, the very careful language, uh, when people's talking about an enhanced scheme, uh, other people are talking about taxpayers and all, that to me is pointing towards that they're not going to offer 100% redress. However, uh, if 100% redress is not offered, um, these houses will not be repaired. Uh, like the current scheme is quite cynical. Uh, like uh, they set it up as a 90-10 scheme, but whenever you cap it too low, you exclude lots of expenses, then that is not a 90% scheme and you can't call it that in fact it's a 60 40 scheme and based on the the rebuild costs uh, we are currently going to be 200,000 at least short and the rebuild of our own house okay um joe McHugh, i want to bring you in here um you're right at the heart of the constituency as well and it's something all tds in the area feel very strongly about um but we did hear michael mcgrath talking about an enhanced scheme um, but, you know, obligation to taxpayers as well, talking about the cost and the complexity. And then rumour that it's going to be some homeowners that will get 100% redress, but not all. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, look, I think, first of all, Phelan summed it up there in terms of the impact on the individual families. And even over the last few days and over the next few days and the next week, the next uh, two weeks, people are going to be hanging on every word. Uh, people are very stressed. Uh, the women that I spoke to today, and one in particular outside Leinster House, who broke down crying, she's from Malinhead. They are at a stage now where, as, as one of them said, she's at a cliff edge. Uh, so the stress now has got to a stage where not alone do we have to do the right thing in terms of the 100%, but we have to do it quickly. People are going to be hanging on every word tonight, we say. Parig and myself and Charlie, we, we're working closely with the Donegal Jersey on us. But when, we, when, we, when we're looking at this, and my, my message to the officials tonight and to the officials who tried to... You mean to, now to the Thornishtha, to no, no, you know, the, no, fellow no, government to, ministers? My, my, my message is twofold. To the officials and to the ministers and to the senior government members around the table that this issue is a real human issue. And my continued and recurring fear is that we're going to be waking up some morning where we're going to be hearing emergency services are going to be in North and Ishone. They've arrived on a scene, a gable wall has fallen in, and that's what we're going to be dealing with if we don't act in this. So all this, you know, the messages around, uh, you know, putting out a figure from government sources yeah. and all that, I I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's, let's get this it done. Point. You're in government. And this is happening all around you. Questions are being asked, and yet you're talking there about the stress and the distress faced by homeowners who are on the edge, on the cliff edge, as you say. This is really unfair, isn't it, that we're leaving it this late in the game to give assurances or to tell people we'll go partially there or we'll, give, we'll help you towards rent or we may get the banks involved. People need certainty now. Look, 
it, it has gone on too long. I worked very closely with the Mike Action Group during the previous scheme and the bona fides and the guarantees were given that it was going to be 90-10. They were broken. Trust was broken. The Mike campaigners that I work closely with, they're back still involved. They have that experience. And what I would like to see in this here is for, it, it, ha it can be a pivotal moment in politics because people have enough um, bad faith in the political process, in politicians, mm. and this is an opportunity. It's not parochial, it's not just down the West Coast. And the people who are supporting us, like the TDs and Senators and my own Fine Gael Parliamentary Party last night, solidarity, full and okay. let's do the right thing. Minister, you're at the Cabinet table on this one. What do you think are the blocks in achieving that 100% redress? Well, I think what happened last time is there wasn't proper clarity in relation to the detail of the scheme um, and certainly what was announced uh, when people came to engage with it, it wasn't what, it wasn't what they actually met. Um, and I, th I think that's why it was really important that the homeowners are very much central to defining what the issues and what the questions are this time, to drilling down into the detail. And I want to pay tribute to all of those who have been involved in that process. I know it's been frustrating and they've put massive work into it, but it is reaching a conclusion now. Uh, and then it comes to government uh, then to make the final decisions in relation to it. Um, and what's really important here is that we get it right. We get a scheme which fully addresses all of the issues and considerations and a scheme which will stand the test of time in terms of, in terms of absolutely ensuring that all homes can be fixed. Because it is, going to, it is going to be something that's going to be with us for a period of time over the next number of years. It's a, it's a very significant task. Uh, to be able to fix all the homes that are there. And, and but it, so, it's one that we need to proceed with promptly and quickly. Yeah. And I think, first and foremost, that now that means, in terms of the working group report, that then coming to government level, all of us working together yes. um, as Raptus members, Minister. myself working with my cabinet colleagues to actually get a result. Yes, and, 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 and we've heard that, that, that working group coming to a conclusion, and you're saying it will be with people for years to come. It has already been with people for many, many years, and um, as yet, no conclusion on it. Um, what is under consideration with regards to seeking contributions from the banks on this? Um, Minister Pascal Donoghue saying that he'd raised the issue of banks contributing in the coming weeks. Are you looking to mortgage providers who approved these homes to, to, to put some money towards rebuilds? Yeah, Minister Donoghue addressed this matter in the Dáil in, in recent days and indicated that he will be meeting further with the banks on this. I know it's something that the Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, has made very clear as well, that he feels that the banking, uh, the banks and, and the financial institutions need to play their part, and that's something that the government need to engage uh, further in. Another key issue as well is the issue around insurance and insurance for these homes, and that's something as well uh, that needs to be part of the equation to ensure that the, the insurance companies are providing the cover. Uh, I think the first step um, now is getting that working group report and then taking that forward and those other aspects in terms of the banks, in terms of the, the insurance, etc. All of that need, okay. needs to come together to ensure that all aspects are covered then so the families in, in terms of getting their okay. homes fixed are thank able to move on fully okay, with their lives. Thank you for that, Minister. Um, just on that issue, uh, Patrick McLaughlin, it's, it's the first time we're sort of hearing now about the um, insurance sector and the banks contributing towards this. Is this how we're going to come to a conclusion um, that, that everyone's going to pitch in in some way to help the thousands of homeowners right across the country affected? Well, the first principle is that the government accept that if you are saying to 
over 2,000 families in Dublin and North Leinster, you get 100% redress, then all the families in Donegal and the west of Ireland must be offered the same by the government. Then in terms of funding that, yes, for sure, we should be talking to the banks. I mean, the banks are having assets that are worth nothing now being restored to full market value. They need to make a contribution to that. Uh, they're benefiting hugely from this. The insurance companies, the construction industry, uh, all of those sectors, I think, should make a contribution. But the government must commit to 100% first. Um, I asked the minister about this. Would he walk from Cabinet? Will you walk if there isn't 100% redress for all involved? Look, we're working towards getting a solution here. I was able to start a debate at the parliamentary party last night, got support from my colleagues. I have a meeting tomorrow with Leo Varadkar. If I wasn't in Fine Gael, I wouldn't be able to do that. So my strength at the moment is working with them. Yes. The but the campaigners, they've been very clever and very, very proactive in reaching out to the, the other TDs and senators around the country. So there's, to, a, group, there's, so there's a group of you. And, and that's, that's the point. Within the coalition, there's a group of you who feel very strongly about this. Will you walk? It, should it not come to pass that homeowners are happy with the agreement reached, will you consider your position? But that we, we have to wait to get the position first. In fairness to Darrow O'Brien, he's trying to get a solution on the table. My message tonight is let's get it go, let's get it out there, let's get the detail, and let's give the people the reassurance that they need. And, and I'm confident. I'm confident we can do that because I believe this is a very binary choice at the moment. It's either not doing it or doing the right thing, and doing the right thing to prevent the ultimate catastrophe uh, that may lead to the loss of lives. Okay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, it's cybercrime on the rise right across the country. I'm joined here in studio by Detective Chief Superintendent Paul Cleary, who's head of the Gartha National Cybercrime Bureau. Um, Paul, an incredibly busy year for you and your team. Did you ever imagine a year ago that you'd be facing into the state's largest cybercrime attack and all that followed and all the scams and all those other issues that we're seeing coming to bear in the past few months? It's been very busy. Um, we have seen a significant rise in cybercrime really over the last 18 months, coinciding with, coinciding with the pandemic. Uh, it's been a challenging time for everyone. Um, there's no doubt that with the, the rapid digitalisation of society, we've seen more people working from home. We've seen more people online, online banking, online shopping, uh, more time on social media. So I suppose it has created a lot of opportunities for these cyber criminals to target people target their data, target their money, and to cause disruption. Uh, and they're adapting all the time. 
And an incredible number of people targeted and in that HSE um, cybercrime attack because it affected all the systems right across the country. Where are we at now with that investigation in terms of tracking down those responsible? Well, there's no doubt that that uh, cyber attack on the HSE was the most serious cyber attack that we've had in this country, uh, and it was an eye-opener. Uh, but we do have the National Cyber Security Strategy since 2019, and that was invoked, and uh, it, the response was good, I have to say. Um, the National Cyber Security Centre, the NCSA, took the lead, and they brought together all the stakeholders, uh, IT security specialists from private industry, uh, different government departments, law enforcement and defence forces. So the response was good. Um, from a law enforcement point of view, the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau, we then move in and conduct our criminal investigation, and that's still ongoing and it's progressing. We have made uh, some tangible progress. We have gathered a lot of intelligence on the gang suspected of being behind this, uh, on their finances. Um, we have collected evidence from seven different countries in relation to this case. And only in the last couple of weeks, we launched uh, what we would call a takedown disruption operation, where we effectively seized the technical infrastructure used by this gang, uh, servers, domains and websites. So what does that mean for someone who may click on a link? They'll come to a website that you've disrupted yeah. And you'll see the Garda logo, logo informing them of that. Yeah, so when we seize this, we put up what's called a splash screen. It's basically an alert. Uh, and what would happen is um, potential unsuspecting victims who are in the early stages of being tangled in this cyber attack web, uh, instead of uh, the, the attack uh, following through, they will see this alert and telling them to get their systems checked, that they may be compromised and that the Irish police and Garda Síochána are investigating a serious cybercrime gang. Uh, now, when I rocked this committee, heard yesterday that 30,000 HSE computers are still operating off Windows 7. How exposed are, is, are our systems still months after this attack? Well, I think the HSE would be best placed uh, to answer that question. I suppose for, for, from our point of view, uh, we are dealing with what has happened. We're still trying to establish the extent of what happened. Uh, the priority for the team involved was to get the systems back up and running safely and securely, and that's what has happened. So now the attention is focused on the criminal investigation. And as I said, it's taken us around the world and we are making good progress. Um, I mentioned about the disruption operation, and it, you know, it can be said that the, the disc gang will just go on mm. and make more uh, technical infrastructure available. Uh, but we've got a good picture of how they operate, of how they target people, so we'll follow them. Uh, and we've also shared our information with our law enforcement uh, yeah. partners around the world. I take it though that upgraded computers are really necessary now to ensure that attacks like this don't happen? In general, uh, not only with government networks or you know, critical national infrastructure or supply lines, even businesses and individuals, we would always say to businesses especially to treat cyber security as an investment, not an overhead. Uh, one thing the HSE cyber attack has done is create a huge amount of awareness out there and we have tried to capitalise on that with uh, education and awareness initiatives ourselves to try and keep people safe online. Yeah, keep people safe and people informed and everyone will know with the number of phone calls that are coming in off 088 numbers and 08, you know, other numbers that they probably haven't been in use, they would have thought, for many years, as well as text messages. It's happening nearly every day, multiple times a day for people. Um, is there any sense that this could come to a close, that there will then be another trend, that this is just one of those things that's happening right now in line with the pandemic, that people are more exposed and that they'll move on to something else in time? 
I think it has reached a tipping point. And I think I know from our engagement uh, worldwide with other police forces that there is now a concerted effort to work collaboratively around the world to try and close down these gangs. Um, I think these, th these text messages and phone calls, they are happening every day. Um, I don't see it as just a law enforcement problem or issue because usually by the time it's reported to us, it's too late. I think we have to be looking at a whole systems approach and look upstream of the problem, work with the telecom companies, yeah. work with the messaging platforms, try and get the firewalls in place to identify uh, these type of messages and eradicate them. Are they doing enough? Um, the phone operators. Well, I, you know, we are engaging with them and we have to look at what's available out there from a tool set and software. Uh, we are looking around the world and we are engaging with them. So I would be hopeful in the short term that we will see some progress in that area. Uh, in terms of expansion of your own bureau, uh, you're looking at, at placing Garthi um, right across, who are specialists in this area, in Garthi stations right across the country because this crime knows no postcodes and no borders. That's correct. Um, in terms of recruiting Garthi and getting them um, into those jobs, how's that going? It's going very well and we're very lucky. Uh, we had an internal competition at the end of last year and the people that had attracted were people that had an interest in cybercrime, would have come from a technical background and most have a master's in cybersecurity or, or, or similar uh, veins. So we got 25 new people into the Bureau in April and we have another 34 to come in, uh, hopefully in the short term. Uh, but in addition to that, more significantly, we're reaching out to private industry and we're looking to recruit 25 um, civilian cyber technical analysts in, into our bureau to help us uh, with our ever-growing case list. So um, in addition to that, as an indication of how seriously the commissioner and the organisation is taking the growth in cybercrime, we have recently opened uh, satellite hubs around the country basically hubs of our own uh, Garda National Cybercrime Bureau in Cork, Wexford, Galway and Mullingar. Uh, and also in addition to that, we have also trained 200 Gardaí in every district around the country as what we call digital force responders. So should anybody go into a local Garda station, the guard behind the counter will be able to call upon someone who has the technical knowledge and expertise to deal with the initial stages of that complaint and investigation. And who should be going to the guards? Like if you receive um, a text message telling you you have to pay tax on a delivery and you know um, or you suspect it's dodgy, like should you go down to the Garda station with that information? Can they do anything with your phone or with that text or with that information that can help them? solve the crime? Well, we would always say that if you're unsure, uh, firstly, um, no government department, the Gardaí, the HSE, no bank will ring you and ask you for your personal information on a phone call or your PPS number or your bank account or log in or pass. They won't do it. So if you do get a call like that, you need to hang up and report it straight away. Similarly, with text messaging, we would say to people, don't kick, click on a link um, from an unsuspected uh, text message if you're not expecting it. Um, is it, is, it, is it easy to solve these crimes? Uh, no, it's very challenging because most of them will emanate from outside yeah. the jurisdiction. Do you know what, a, a viewer um, ha, has tweeted, how do they get my number? Well, it's social engineering and unfortunately if one phone is compromised, the numbers in that phone book will it'll follow on and then it'll follow on through all the different phone books in, 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 in all people's And do they phones. have more than your number? Do they have your name? Do they have further information? It, it depends on the malware, the malicious software in the link that you might have clicked on. It depends. There's different types of, of malware out there, but uh, they are becoming ever more sophisticated. So again, the best cure is prevention and, and warning people about this.
Okay, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Detective Chief Superintendent Paul Cleary, who is head of the Garda National Cybercrime Bureau. And after the break, the Newsweek in review. Welcome back. Now, after a busy news week, here to discuss some of the important stories that made headlines is Irish Times political correspondent Harry McGee, businesswoman and pharmacist Kate O'Connell, and legal correspondent with the Business Post, Catherine Sands. You're all very welcome along. Harry, I want to come to you first. A big week for the Irish in New York. The Taoiseach was speaking before the UN Security Council today uh, with climate high on the agenda. Will they make any headway there, do you think? It was a very big moment for the Taoiseach, and I think it would probably represent almost the high point of his tenure as uh, Taoiseach. And Ireland, of course, has secured a place on the Security Council. And this month, September, is the month in which Ireland is president of the Security Council. So the Taoiseach chaired uh, the meeting of the Security Council today, the first time an Irish Taoiseach has ever done that. But he had an agenda as well, and Ireland was very keen to push that agenda, and it was to uh, include climate change in the remit of the Security Council and unfortunately uh, the Chinese, the Indians and the Russians, well the Russians said niet and uh, it just didn't happen. Uh, the Russian used an old Russian expression which is also an old English expression, too many uh, cooks spoil the broth. The Taoiseach made a, an argument that won many of the delegates that you know climate change is becoming so serious now that it is becoming a security consideration for so many countries uh, but unfortunately the Chinese and the Russians and the Indians were not willing to accept it. I think he was asked about that can you overcome this sort of stumbling block? He, he was and he, he gave a message of hope but I, I think the real politic of the Security Council and the permanent members uh, will mean that if Russia and China don't want it on the uh, remit it's not going to happen. Yeah, we also had, of course, Catherine Tapone respectfully declining to appear before the Oireachtas Committee. That's something that followed uh, Simon Coveney to New York. It, it, it was, and uh, that wasn't a surprise. I mean, she's no longer a member of the Oireachtas. Uh, the Oireachtas Committee doesn't have any compelability. I think she has been through the ringer in terms of this controversy, and I don't think she uh, was minded to come in to be grilled by an Oireachtas uh, committee. It's a pity because I think she may have been able to give her own side of the story. She has shipped an awful lot of criticism. Some, of course, have it justified, but at the same time, you know, it was no surprise that she refused ultimately. Um, Kate, do you think, where do you think Fine Gael relations stand now in the wake of all of this and the acrimony and how it played out in the doll in that key vote for Simon Coveney, um, you know, when Matt Carthy brought up all the, the leak allegations and naming Simon Harris in that alleged, making that claim, which of course the minister has denied. Uh, where does that leave party relations, do you think? I'd say probably, um, like, like any good row or any good difficulty, I mean, in the aftermath, there's possibly a new dawn. I think it was, you know, while it was a very serious issue, and I, I think that um, it, it, it went to the heart, I suppose, what people would be suspecting goes on in politics. Um, it probably went on a bit too long, considering all the other things that are happening. Um, especially like Afghanistan was kind of at yeah, the same time and that went off the damage radar. To, damage to Fine Gael, dam damage to the coalition Damage to there. everybody involved. But I think um, something that can be overcome um, by all involved. Um, I really do. And I, and I do think that 
It's, it's Catherine Zappone's right to say no. And I do think Harry's right. She's been through a lot. And um, for anybody, I've never been there, but for anybody that's been like put through it on social yeah. media or well, by the media, you have a, to have sympathy for her as, as a, a human former being. minister and someone who was going for a UN job that would be government appointed that she had an obligation to appear there and give her a side. But, it, but it's her prerogative to decide. And um, I do think she has uh, been through enough. And I think there have been times in the past where people didn't say now is enough when certain politicians have been put through okay. the ringer. Um, Catherine, uh, staying with the US, but a big story today about travel to and from uh, the US reopening, essentially. It's a good news story, isn't it? Um, you're from Miami yourself. <laughs> Can you make that trip home? Uh, I can, yeah. So from November, uh, passengers traveling from, I mean, the travel ban was for most of Europe, but there was a few other countries in there as well, including China. Um, so from November, people from Europe will be able to travel to the US. Um, you will have to have proof of vaccination and you will also have to have proof of a negative COVID test, but it can be an antigen test. So that does make testing a little bit easier. Um, but it is going to mean a great deal to people that have been separated for the guts of 18 months. Yeah, um, but there's no certainty on when exactly we're going to... We're still waiting on a date, aren't we? They said November was when they expected it to be implemented, but yeah, they haven't exactly given an exact precise date. Yeah, but uh, a welcome one because it's been a long time coming. They were, they were waiting a while on this one when other countries were reopening. Yeah, they and were hugely for, for Irish families and for reunifications, as well as trade links. It's really yeah, important. and as well as airlines. Like, they've been flying so many half-empty or in almost entirely empty planes for so long, I'd say they're very delighted for how, to have that change. Uh, big story as well, Slauncher Care. More questions, really, than answers, uh, Kate, on this one. Uh, and plenty of accusations level at government that there is no political will um, to move this on and put those reforms in place. Would you agree? Well, we don't know until those that were at the top come out and tell us exactly what the problem was. And we were just discussing earlier on, I mean, how long, it's, it's a long time since I sat on Slaunch Care. We're nearly halfway through the 10 years. And, you know, the, the people, Laura McGahey and Tom Keane in particular, um, that I had dealt with, they really were people that I felt if anyone could drive this forth, they could. So I think we have to step back and look at it and say, why, why has this happened? Why has something that was cross-party that didn't happen easy? It was a tough committee. Um, and also, it wasn't just a pie-in-the-sky plan. It's sequencing how things happened, what had to happen for the next thing to happen for a health service to evolve to a situation that we were willing to accept a single-tiered system. I think... Um, there were the, the key issues that have been mentioned are the um, regional structures, the progression of e-health um, in particular have been particularly difficult. So the regional structures are politically challenging because all you have to do is think of Roscommon Hospital um, and what happened there politically. I mean, Frankie Feehan moved constituency um, subsequently. So there is um, a lot of um, challenges when it comes to doing changes and moving of services from one hospital to another. So I think a key learning is and will be that this has to be driven through the Department of Taoiseach. No matter who the Taoiseach is, it has to follow that Taoiseach. And that was a recommendation of the committee, but it did not happen. And why hasn't it happened? Well, why do you think, Harry? Well, I think Kate put her finger on it. I was on the governing body of a university and they were planning for projects that were going to happen in 30 years' time. Uh, Irish politics, politics in general throughout Europe, is not geared towards long-termism. So if you have long-term strategies, uh, uh, politicians are not very... They're good at drawing them up. They're good at 
publicising them, but they're not good at implementing well, them. They're they sprinters rather than marathon runners. They just runners. want to move on to something else. Well, they just it, it's staying with the project, uh, and sometimes a project is politically expedient at a particular moment of time, but then it falls off the agenda and it doesn't get the priority it should be afforded. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Slaunch Care. It was a big issue two or three years ago, maybe not quite so much a priority over the past 18 months, understandably so in some reasons. But the two people who resigned from the board were very heavy hitters mm -hmm. and what they say about why they resign should be listened to very carefully by government if it is serious about implementing uh, Slauncher Care. When are we likely to get answers? Are we likely to see um, those two key people, Professor Tom Keane and Laura McGahey, appear before an Oireachtas committee to give answers on this early next month? Um, I, I hopefully both will, will appear and I think both are keen to explain uh, why they left. And Professor Keane in particular, he's the person who brought uh, the Centres of Excellence for, for, for Breast Health into Ireland. So he should be listened to particularly. Uh, Catherine, it was a really big week for workers who, some of whom were returning uh, to the workplace, to offices, away from their home workplace for the first time in 18 months. Um, but there are concerns there, outstanding concerns and questions over GDPR and being able to ask about vaccinations. Yeah, so, I mean, employers know that they can't technically ask an employee if they're vaccinated, but obviously employees also have concerns. Maybe they want to know about their fellow co-workers' vaccination status. Um, and then there's also the issues I think employers have been raising, whether they could be in breach of health and safety regulations by bringing so many people back into the workplace, especially if people have immunocompromised people at home. Um, so there's, it's kind of, hear the word tiptoe a lot. People seem like they're tiptoeing around a lot of these rules. And that does feel like what it is. We're kind of testing the waters and seeing what works. The guidance for employers is a 70-page document. There's an awful lot of information there, but it's just advice. Right, yeah. So, I mean, from a legal point of view, there's nothing set in stone that gives assurances to uh, workers and, you know, more backup to employers, if you like. Yeah, and, and at the moment we're seeing cases play out, like the Workplace Relations Committee is our commission is already dealing with cases in relation to this, in relation to mask wearing and social distancing and who's implementing things right. So it is kind of a minefield at the moment, and I can imagine it's only going to continue to, to be that way for the yeah, first do while. There, do you think, Kate, there's going to be more clarification on this? Because there are worries among people, like heading back into the workplace. There's also employers really trying to retain staff. We've seen a huge number of people who are quitting their jobs, moving on. Um, then, of course, we have redundancies. There's so much going on for employers and for workers. And, and, and the, the sense, in some ways, that the government wants to sort of step back and not go there because it's a minefield. It is a minefield, but I think the key thing is that employers and those operating public spaces create an environment where you can exercise personal responsibility. So you can... Um, do your two meters, you're not going to be invaded by somebody else. But like the, any other medical intervention, it is nobody else's business if somebody has been vaccinated. And it's largely irrelevant, I think, to the, in the overall scheme of things, unless in a particular business, the majority of people are unvaccinated. But I think we're all trying to, you know, I've been working throughout it, so we had an anxiety ourselves during it. You know, I used to think I'd COVID every Saturday night and was gone by every Sunday morning. But, you know, and then I got so over that after a few months. <laughs> but, like, we have to go with what pub public health stood by us very well. And I think we have to stand with them as they navigate and help us through this. Because, um, obviously, we're going to be hesitant if big, bad COVID was big, bad COVID last week and now next week. Well, maybe not so bad, you know. So I think we just stick with the public health advice and okay. do what we can do.
but there is a huge a huge burden of cost um, in terms of staff premium rate for people coming back to work people have got used to having time off and the work-life balance um, has become very much to the fore for people briefly Harry before we go the sad passing of uh, Mervyn Taylor Labour TD and, and key to uh, the divorce legislation Absolutely, and he was talking about divorce, I think, 25 years before anybody else. One of the things that was interesting about him is he was one of three Jewish TDs in the Doyle at one stage. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast. Uh, until next week, good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.